Will the lights really stay on in Texas? Well, the governor says he can guarantee it. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com and at HoustonChronicle.com. It's Jeremy Wallace. Hello, sir, and welcome back. All right, ready to go. I tell you what, the governor's race is heating up, man. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's all kind of fun. We missed everybody last week, and they were really uh, just downloading the hell out of this podcast on Spotify. Apparently, I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit, but let's start with what's really happening in the news is a big shift toward a conversation about the electricity grid really feels like winter now, right? Or starting to in, in Texas for, for what we have for a normal winter, which is kind of, you know, not too cold, but it gets dreary and it gets dark earlier. But this has people thinking about what happened last February, which was ice covering the entire state from the panhandle all the way down to Galveston Island. Yep. And literally killed people. Horrible disaster. How long did you not have power at your uh, place, Jeremy? Oh, just, you know, three or four days. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I had no power here for five days, yeah. And oh, wow. luckily wow. for me, well, and we've talked about this, I didn't have any uh, damage to my pipes, but you did. Yes. Right? You had a huge yes. plumbing bill. Yep. What a disaster. And people all across the state did. Um, and it's something that's on the minds of folks as we move into the winter months, the electricity grid, not really something that the governor wants to talk about, but he will speak about it if he's asked. And I was watching Fox 7, uh, Austin television here, and he was talking to Rudy Kosky, our friend over there, uh, who was interviewing him about the issue of the electricity grid and simply asking the question, was enough done by the legislature to ensure that we will all still have power all throughout the winter months? Can you give right, a guarantee that the lights are going to stay on? I can guarantee the lights will stay on. He can guarantee the lights will stay on. Now, Beto O'Rourke, his Democratic challenger. This is really starting to feel like a governor's race, as you said. He was in Houston, and he was all over the place. He's, he's barnstorming the state once again. He's been in South Texas and out in the Panhandle, West Texas, places like that in Houston. Beto was at a rally, and he went right after Abbott about the grid. What we have right now, I believe, in this state is a failure of trust from the person who sits in the highest position of public trust. He simply does not trust Texas. He doesn't trust those who warned him after the grid failures in 2011 and 2014 that unless we invest in weatherizing the grid, this is going to happen to us again. And it did. So O'Rourke pointed out that Abbott was taking big campaign contributions from natural gas interests, even after people died in the storm while those folks were raking in billions of dollars. After all that devastation and tragedy, the people of the state of Texas said, now please fix the grid. But the governor would not trust us. And instead, he looked to those who owned the gas companies that couldn't provide the supply that we needed when we needed that supply the most. And they rewarded him, one campaign contributor alone, one of these energy CEOs, a $1 million campaign contribution check to Greg Abbott within one month of that disaster. 
So Beto slamming him there, Jeremy Abbott does not want to talk about this. As I said, he wants to talk about other things. He would like to talk about the border and immigration, uh, border security, building a wall, all that sort of stuff. The governor was on KFYO radio in Lubbock, and he was discussing those things. And he wasn't even asked about Beto O'Rourke, but he went ahead and slammed him right back on the issue of border security. However crazy the Biden open border policies are, uh, they are more conservative than the open border policies that Robert Francis O'Rourke talked about during the campaign. And so Texans need to understand that Robert Francis O'Rourke would allow open border policies in the state of Texas. He would not step up and do anything to secure our border. And that's exactly why this election is going to be so important this coming year. So the election is not important because of the grid. It's not important because of COVID numbers, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. It's not important because of those things for the conservative audience listening to those conservative radio talk shows. Abbott says the important thing is border security. And it's interesting. We talked here previously on the show, Jeremy, about the fact that Beto right out of the gate said that he doesn't agree with the Biden administration. He thinks they're being too soft on the border. Of course, this is one of those issues that no one seems to be happy with anybody about. There's there's so much to be angry about. But on the grid itself, it strikes me that, and I was asked about this on a radio show earlier this week, um, that it's not just the only thing the Democrats have. It's maybe the best thing they have and certainly the thing that they want. And this is the most important part. They want everyone on the record about they want to be on the Democrats like Beto and Mike Collier and some of these other Democrats that are running statewide and at uh, you know the state legislative level. They want to be on the record saying that if anything goes wrong with the grid, you know who to blame. Right yep. now, if it doesn't happen, then, you know, then it's just a big nothing burger. Uh, and of course, None of us hope that anything bad happens with the grid. For the Republican side, you might think that Abbott would be a little more modulated in his comments, that he would say something like, well, you know, we've, we've made good progress on the electricity grid. I did sign these pieces of legislation that address that, and it does, you know, this and this and this and this and this, and he would kind of outline what those things are. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he says, I can guarantee you that the lights will stay on, that we won't have a problem with the grid. And Jeremy, this might not just be a problem for the winter months. It could also be a problem in the summer. Yeah. Right. As, as you know, temperatures go through the roof in Texas, you could have rolling blackouts. So we could see that there's, there's nothing fundamentally different. I think this is fair. Nothing fundamentally different about the electricity market in Texas today from what it was in February. Yeah. That's largely the case. And, and quite honestly, I would say, uh, power problem in the summer next year is even more dangerous for Abbott in that it'll be so close to the election and it would remind everybody once again of this issue. And and the reason it's so important is because like like a lot of like the the partisan stuff you're hearing back and forth just sounds like noise to like independent type of voters. It's like, but when you start getting to those bread and butter issues, like when you start talking about my kid's school, when you're talking about my roads, when you're talking about my power, those are things I understand as to, well, well, why should I pick somebody other than this guy? It's like, well, if the answer is, which Beto was saying this back in like, you know, some of those early rallies, you know, where Mm -hmm. he was saying, these jokers can't keep the lights on. And it's like, to me, that is the absolute, what the Democrats need for a message. It's like, Okay, why should I fire Greg Abbott? Because he can't keep the lights on. Very understandable. You put that on a bumper sticker and everybody will remember that. You know, versus, well, because of this bathroom bill that mm-hmm. affects a small portion of people and let, let me explain it all to you. You can't get it on a bumper sticker. This is a bumper stick 
sticker type thing that can right. get you an election. Yeah, it, it seems to me the downside for the Democrats is that, and this is happening nationally and here in Texas, they're sort of waiting for something bad to happen that there would be backlash about that would accrue to their benefit. So, for example, uh, there was the uh, there were the arguments made at the U.S. Supreme Court this week about Roe versus Wade in the Mississippi case, the 15-week ban that they have there, and as you listen to the arguments, it did seem that the conservative justices, which are the majority now are ready to at least roll back part of that, right? I mean, yeah. if not completely just overturn Roe versus Wade altogether. And I've heard from some Democrats who say, not all of them, by the way, but but a lot of them who would say that ruling, which may come down in June or July going into the November election, that could cause huge backlash for Republicans if suddenly women don't have the right to an abortion in different states all across the country. Some states, including Texas, have passed what they call a trigger law, which says as soon as Roe versus Wade is gone, then that means that there are you know, that abortion is immediately illegal in those states. Um, I don't know if it's going to play out that way. I, I'm not making an argument to specific to the the, the substance of, of what exactly is going to happen. I do think that there may be some lag time on that. If there's a ruling that uh, that women are especially upset about, um, there may be lag time for the actual uh, consequences of what the policy would be. For example, here in Texas, when that law was passed earlier this year, no one really even noticed it until women were turned away from abortion clinics right in September when the Supreme Court allowed it to go into effect on that issue. And on the grid, Democrats want to be on the record saying that this is what could happen. But if it doesn't, Again, that it's just a big nothing, Jeremy. Well, yeah, and 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 this is what I've, I've. If there's one phrase people should remember, you know, hearing from me over and over again is that a year in politics is a lifetime. Right. Trying to couch what you think will be the winning issue from a year a year from now is a foolhardy task. We never absolutely ever know that. It's like all kinds of things can happen. A power grid could go on or off. You know, who knows when rulings come from the Supreme Court? We can't see these things coming. Like we couldn't see the stock market completely melt down, you know, just months before the 20, you know, 2008 elections, which right. completely changed America, right? Barack Obama beats John McCain when otherwise maybe he never comes close, you know? It's just like, that's the thing. It's like, we just can't see what's happening. So there's a long way to play out. And if you're a Democrat trying to anticipate things coming down the road, it's like, you can't. You got to deal with right. whatever hand you're dealt with right now and just hope it changes towards whatever you hope is a better issue. Yeah. As they say in the casino, a winning hand, it doesn't matter if you don't know how to play it, right? Yeah. If you don't leave the casino with any more money than you walked in with. Um, I would say that Democrats are not wrong to be emphasizing it, but they do need to have a broader message than just the thing yes. that may, the thing that may not happen. The uh, vaccine wars continue from Austin to Washington. Let me start in DC here. Did you see what Senator Ted Cruz was saying about Dr. Anthony Fauci, the Fauci oh, has yes. just become the uh, the punching bag of the right. And that's not new. That's been going on for months, if not years at this point, as the nation's top infectious disease expert has really been the face of the government's response, both under the Trump administration and now under the Biden administration. Does it seem to you that now that it's a Democratic administration, it's the Republican senators are even more eager to go after him? Is that oh, fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So Senator Cruz says that Fauci has disgraced himself and lied to Congress. I don't think anyone has hurt science, has hurt the credibility of the CDC, has hurt the credibility of doctors more than Dr. Fauci, because throughout this pandemic, 
He's been dishonest. He's been political. He's been partisan. And, and the American people know it. Cruz has gone so far as to say that Dr. Fauci should be prosecuted for lying to Congress. Fauci was asked about that on CBS News by uh, Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation. Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? Ouch. But Fauci, who says that he has basically avoided politics his whole life, was pretty good at it just then. Yeah. I would say that, that was a decent you know, turn of phrase in dealing with Cruz. He says that, um, look, his job as a public health official is pretty straightforward. I've stayed away from politics my entire life. I am somebody who only cares about science and health. And it is, you're right, it's painful and disturbing to see when you're trying to focus all of your attention on doing what you can do the way we did to create the vaccines, to develop the drugs, to save millions of lives. And then you have this completely outlandish politicization of it, politicization of everything, politicization of the public health, politicization of the origins, politicization of all of it is really, I think when we look back at this, we're gonna say, what were we thinking? What was going on back then? You know, the word politicization is so hard to say. I don't think he was saying it right. Politization, <laughs> politicization, politicization. I can't say it either. It's really difficult. Uh, well, all of that was playing out, Jeremy. Cruz and some other Republicans like uh, Chip Roy from right here in Central Texas were threatening to shut down the government this week over Biden's vaccine mandate for large employers. The president doesn't have the power to do this. And where is Congress? Congress needs to man up, stand up, and fight for the American people. And that means don't fund a government that is tyrannically forcing people to get a vaccine that they don't want to get. Speaker Nancy Pelosi says that position stated by Congressman Roy is just nuts. How do they explain to the public that they're shutting down government because they don't want people to get vaccinated? Why don't you go ask them? This is so silly. This is so silly that we have people who are anti-science, anti-vaccination, saying they're going to shut down government over that. And you're asking me, what's our message? Our message is that we have to respect governance and we have to respect science. She's saying that the uh, Republicans are just protesting here and they're not really trying to lead on these issues. Jeremy, um, respecting the science, I think, would require looking at the numbers uh, of what we see here in Texas and around the country. What, what, what are we seeing at the state level when it comes to COVID now? Well, the sad point is that we're seeing like the number of hospitalizations creep up a little bit, not in the extreme way that we saw during the summer, but like it's still starting to creep up again, which is kind of disheartening after it had been going down for so long. So we're back up to over 2,800 people hospitalization at any given time right now. Uh, and but more concerning, there's some areas that are really hot spots, you know, up in Amarillo, they're really having a hospital problem right now where there's so many people in the hospital. They, they were some health officials up there were saying they've doubled the number of patients in a really short period of time who are coming mm -hmm. in for COVID. And yeah. so that's really kind of, you know, filled up the hospital beds really quickly. Uh, and, but one thing they're saying that is very important and, and kind of fits into this conversation is that 90% of the people in the hospitals up there are unvaccinated. So you can see there's this, you know, correlation happening. And, and it's a weird correlation too, because, you know, most members of Congress, you know, people like Donald Trump, you know, got vaccinated 
And then is this message of there shouldn't be a vaccine mandate. And so they're, they're trying to work this line of, and you can hear from, you know, Ted Cruz and saying that we're not anti-vaccine, we're mm-hmm. anti-mandate of the vaccines. And, but right. that is getting lost in translation when you see that 90% of the people in the hospitals in the Amarillo region right now are unvaccinated people whose lives mm-hmm. are kind of in a bad spot right now. So it's, it's certainly worth, you know, and watch out for El Paso too. El Paso, we've seen their numbers really spike up. So it's just a matter of time trying to figure out like, is that going to happen to the rest of the state again? Uh, I can't imagine that there won't be travel in between those regions and uh, from here to, you know, Christmas, you know, or, what people do during the holidays. Yeah. And while all that's happening, uh, Texas House Republicans in the, in the state capitol are now signing on uh, to lawsuits against the Biden administration of, because of the policies having to do with vaccine mandates by large employers, right? You have uh, Biden trying to push for companies that have more than 100 employees to have vaccine policies. And this has been quite controversial within the Republican Party, right? This is something that is ripping the GOP apart in this state. Uh, And what I mean by that is you have the big um, business contributors uh, who generally write checks to Republicans who do not want to see the state government step between them and their employees and tell them that they can't have a vaccine mandate. Look, um, I've seen and we've talked about, uh, you know, some of these conservative thought leaders who have said it's hypocritical to criticize Biden for telling businesses what to do, that they have to do something. At the same time, support a governor who would tell businesses that they can't do something. Stay out of it. That would be the old school conservative position. It's free market and let the businesses do what they want. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick tried to thread the needle on that argument. He was on Fox News Channel. He said this is not about politics. It's about Liberty. Look, we're the most business friendly state in the country for the last 10 years. Businesses flock to Texas for many reasons. We believe in businesses having the authority over their employees to to run their businesses how they wish. But we are also a liberty loving state for the individual, Laura. And I've been vaccinated. I believe in vaccinations. Over 70 percent of people over the age of 50 in Texas have been vaccinated. But in the population between 16 and 49, 56 percent of those people have been fully vaccinated. That means almost half. And that's your big segment of your working population, 16 to 49. And if people don't want a vaccination. That's their right. I own a business. I would never tell my employees they have to get a vaccination. And the idea that the president of the United States mandated this, putting these bigger companies in this position was wrong. He said before he got elected, he wouldn't do it. That's none of his damn business, quite frankly, how a person takes care of their health. The little governor really covering every inch of the waterfront there, right? He said that we are business friendly and we're one of those places that businesses uh, flock to uh, because of the free market principles that are adhered to by state government. At the same time, he's arguing for a regulation from state government that says you cannot tell your employees, your workforce, that they have to be vaccinated. When I hear from all of these business associations and individual businesses as well, Jeremy, who say they simply want to be able to protect their workforce and their customers. There are a lot of businesses that feel that they could do even more business if they were able to give people assurance that if they go visit their place of business, that people there are vaccinated. Now, Chad Hasty on KFYO Radio in Lubbock was asking Governor Abbott about whether Texas House Republicans would have the votes to pass a ban on vaccine mandates, right? There was a push right at the last minute of the last special session 
to try to do something on this. And we saw all those trade associations that I mentioned, they all came out against it. Texans for lawsuit reform was the first uh, one of the big groups to come out against it. And then you saw manufacturers, retailers, um, the realtors and others come out and say, you know, chemical council, all these different groups, the heavy hitters at the council at the uh, Capitol saying, no, we don't agree with the governor on this. When hasty asked Abbott about it, the governor sort of took a swipe at the lieutenant governor. Listen to this. Uh, Abbott says the Senate, which of course, Patrick is the presiding officer in the Texas Senate. Abbott says the Senate didn't have the votes to pass it either. It's not just an issue of the Texas House not being able to do this. Well, first, I will tell you that uh, during uh, this last special session, uh, even the Senate couldn't pass uh, the ban on vaccine mandates. But put, put that aside, uh, there, there's another reason why uh, there, there's not a special session on it right now. And that is, uh, you, if you haven't announced the news, uh, yesterday there was a second federal court order uh, that put a ban, nationwide ban, on vaccine mandates that were imposed uh, by Medicaid and Medicare for any hospital or medical worker uh, that is associated with uh, Medicaid or Medicare. And that is on top of the ban uh, that the Fifth Circuit uh, that oversees the state of Texas uh, put on the uh, OSHA uh, vaccine mandate. Here's the point. All of the federal-based vaccine mandates have now been stayed or halted because of federal court rulings. So Abbott is arguing that because the state is winning so far in court against the Biden administration, that they don't need to have another special session here in Austin to deal with this. But here's the disconnect, Jeremy. Fighting the Biden administration only addresses the first part of the equation, right? The first part of what people are upset about, at least in the Republican Party, which is that the federal government has told large employers that they have to have a vaccine requirement in place and states like Texas don't agree with that. But the second half of it is the populist argument within the Republican Party, which is that businesses themselves should not be able to tell you as a worker that you have to get a vaccine, right? So Abbott's not even talking about that in his answer to Hasty. So, you know, Hasty asked the natural follow-up. He said, doesn't, doesn't it um, still stand that businesses can tell employees what to do? Not under my executive order. My executive order, remember this, under uh, uh, Section 418 of the Texas Government Code, my executive order is, has the effect of law. Uh, and it's something that Kim Paxson, uh, the attorney general, has been suing and winning under, uh, including uh, we got a victory this past week from uh, the Fifth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals with regard uh, to my elimination of the mask mandate in schools. Uh, and so we, we win these cases. Uh, and, and so if we win in Supreme Court on all these uh, federally imposed vaccine mandates, uh, if any business uh, goes against my executive order, uh, then Kim Paxton, the, the Texas attorney general, can take legal action against them. Part of what's interesting here, Jeremy, is the attorney general has essentially said that he can't really do that, go around suing every business in Texas. And um, I think we were trying to, at one point, keep a running tally on all the different entities that Texas is in court with over COVID restrictions and things related to uh, COVID, including the vaccine. You're talking cities, counties, school districts, and now the governor is saying that he would like to turn the attorney general loose on any business that is telling their employees that they have to get 
vaccinated. Um, for a lot of conservatives, that doesn't sound very free market to them. Uh, and I don't know where this is going to end up and, and whether or not the governor can continue to hold folks like Alan West, like Don Huffines, like the Republican Party of Texas itself at bay, because it seems like Abbott and Texas House Republicans are doing everything they can to not have another special session after the four sessions that we've already had this year. Yeah, and can, can you imagine a special session in January, February, right before a Republican primary? Mm -hmm. It's like what kind of magic, we'll say, <laughs> would come out of that kind of a special session? Right. Well, and, you know, I was talking to the uh, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, Matt Rinaldi, uh, before Thanksgiving, and he agreed with me that, look, this is the issue that has really captured the imagination and is the real source of intensity for the grassroots of the Republican Party right now. It's usually one of the first things we talked about, which is immigration and border security. And you notice Abbott keeps trying to lead them back to that. That's the main thing he wanted yeah. to talk to Chad Hasty about. That's the main thing he's trying to talk about when he goes on you know, Fox News Channel or Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace or any of those uh, you know different media appearances. The governor uh, was doing his uh, appearances down in the valley where he said that um, what the, the Beto O'Rourke is at odds with the people who live on the border about border issues. Right. So he's, he's trying to get people to talk about that. But it seems that you have folks coming at him from every direction on other issues of uh, Alan West, who's running for uh, governor on the Republican side, put out a big statement just this week say, saying that uh, Texas needs to winterize the grid. Right. That sounding. I mean, he had a different policy prescription from obviously from what Beto O'Rourke would have. But he's criticizing Abbott about the same thing. And, and West and Huffines, who, by the way, just filed for governor against Abbott uh, officially this week. Um, they're all coming at him on all these different issues. Uh, and so if he has any vulnerability, um, I think it's, it's not just on one thing. It's maybe on a host of things. Yeah, I, I caught up with Alan West when he was up in Round Rock, where he was like, you know, joined a rally of people who were upset with the school board there. And one of the things that West was saying was like saying that like if he were governor, you know, he would be more involved with all these fights that are happening on the school district level, all these you know, like fights over, you know, what reading materials in there, you know, the, the critical race stuff. He doesn't think Governor Abbott has been aggressive enough in getting into these things. So there's another front, you know, in which. You know, Abbott is now having a fight within his own party. And it's funny because this all reminded me of a time there, there's a, a former governor of Florida named Lawton Childs, who I had a chance to interview you know, before he passed away. Mm -hmm. And he was in his last term as governor. I asked him, like, you know, do you regret like not being able to serve any longer? You know, what's going to be like losing it? And he goes, no, eight years is perfect because, you know, at this point, I'm now irritating not just Republicans, but Democrats, too. <laughs> it's just like so people in his own party were coming for him because now they're frustrated that he's done enough for them or that it just builds enough time to build more enemies he said and that's what abbott i think is facing after you've been in there for two terms you're just building a lot more people who might have a problem with you mm -hmm. now uh you, you know you see how much more aggressive democrats are and like oh, yeah. going against him, you see how much more aggressive people within the Republican Party have gone at him, you know, over the last year or so. Remember, he was being censured by some county Republican parties, a Republican governor. It's just like at some point you just start wearing on people when you're in there too long. And I think that's what he's starting to see on both ends now.
I mentioned Huffines. He did file officially for uh, governor, and uh, here he was right after filing for office. And it, the, it, if you listen to this, you can kind of hear someone else is also talking in the room at the same time he's trying to make his announcement. But but this is what Huffines had to say uh, after saying that, uh, hey, he's officially in the race. Hey, Patriots, this is a big day for the campaign. It's a big day for liberty, and it's a big day for the Republican Party. I just filed my paperwork paperwork right here uh, to be your next governor. And guess what? We're going to win. He said, hey, Patriots, we're going to win. I think you're right on Abbott. He's got, um, you know, just headwinds uh, any way he turns uh, from Republicans, from Democrats. But there was one quarter from which he's not getting any problem after so much speculation. And here we are talking about the governor. One other big announcement. Who, who, who is it? Hey, everybody, McConaughey here. Oh, it's Matthew McConaughey. This must be important, Jeremy, because we've heard all of this for a full year or maybe a little bit more about how he was going to run for governor. Matthew, what is going on? Listen, over the past two years, I've been working on the answer to the question of how I can be most useful in this life going forward. Useful to myself, useful to my family and to the most amount of people. One category of service I've been exploring is politics. I've been considering a run for the governor of Texas. I've been listening, I've been learning, I've been measuring, I've been studying Texas politics and American politics. What have I learned? A lot. That we have some problems we need to fix. Jeremy, he has just now noticed it took him two years to learn it. And in only the last two years did Matthew McConaughey realize that we've got a lot of problems in this country. And things need to get addressed. You know, somebody's got to fix it. So is he going to be the one to fix it? As a simple kid born in the little town of Uvalde, Texas, it never occurred to me that I would one day be considered for political leadership. It's a humbling and inspiring path to ponder. It is also a path that I'm choosing not to take at this moment. It's always hard to imagine that you would be the one to put it in motion so that other people would consider you for political office because you kept saying that it was something that you were considering. Matthew McConaughey throughout the year teasing out a race for governor says he's not going to run. The answer there you heard is no, he's not going to. I would like to pat us on the back a little bit here, Jeremy, on this show, because I think we talked about this subject, the idea that Matthew McConaughey would run for governor of Texas, just the right amount. You know, we we mentioned it, and you've heard some of his interviews here on this program, but you uh, may have seen where he was interviewed by Kara Swisher, New York Times, and that yep. uh, podcast is pretty popular. Um, we did not even mention that interview when it was published. We didn't talk about it on the show because in my mind, the interview was proof positive he's not running for governor, that nothing that he was saying was serious when Kara Swisher, who did a great job with the interview, she had, I, I will say this, and people should go look it up, let, just to punch in uh, Kara Swisher or Matthew McConaughey. She had an interesting balance of doing that interview where when she's talking to him, he probably hears it like she's taking him seriously. But as a listener, you could tell she's not. 
right? She's sort of kind of laughing at the things that he's saying and pressing, you know, pushing back on the different stuff that he's saying. Well, all these different interviews have probably sold a lot of his books, you know, the green lights books. And um, I was listening to some discussions of Texas politics this week where folks were saying, yeah, he would have been a horrible candidate. I don't know. Governor Abbott has a lot of vulnerabilities. I covered the uh, recall election in 2003 uh, when, when Schwarzenegger uh, beat Gray Davis in California. Yep. And part of the strategy in that race was to say nothing, was to not be specific about Anything to not, you know, Schwarzenegger recently did some more, uh, did some interviews where he talked about the fact that he took the advice of Ted Kennedy, the late senator, who said, don't get specific about policy. Don't really, you know, get down into the weeds of things. Schwarzenegger said he took that very, very seriously. And for my part, it's not that I didn't think he could be a credible candidate for governor. Think about the people who have come out of Hollywood and entertainment and have risen to high office. Big names, right? Ronald Reagan. Yep. Donald Trump in Texas, I would argue Dan Patrick came out of media and entertainment. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I mentioned, Jesse, the body Ventura. These people can be decent candidates and they can win. Right. But if a guy's just talking about his book, the green lights, and did you read the book? No. I guess it's a memoir of his life where he talks about the green lights, that green lights means that you can go. And red lights means, you know, that you're going to stop. But the yellow lights means that uh, you've got to have caution. There's there's the red and the green and there's and there's blue lights and there's chartreuse lights and there's, you know, there's uh, there's yellow lights and there's a light in your eyes. And you know that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Right. And that's what I'm talking about, Texas. That's that's not a great impersonation of him, but that's pretty close to the kind of stuff he was saying. Right. So is it, he did a nice job promoting his book and I'm sure he sold a lot of them. But that's about it, well, right? uh, well, and certainly, like, and I know there's a lot of people in politics and journalism who have been kind of really kind of throwing a lot of shade on him for this whole ordeal. And, <laughs> like, and, and like, I think people should ease up. Like, I think the dude legitimately, like, you know, thought, well, maybe there is a route there. Uh, and I think he knew he was se trying to sell books too. But yep. like, I'm not mad that he considered it. You know, it's just like, no. like. like Everybody ha can have a shot, but but here's here's a tip for you know listeners out there. If you think yeah. somebody's going to run for governor, if you think like you know maybe Sandra Bullock is going to run or Willie Nelson or you know Pat Green or whatever, if any of those guys are going to run, <laughs> it's like this is what you'll well, see first. You'll yeah. see them going around the state and talking to groups and trying to figure out if there's a, a route, a path, mm -hmm. or like how much seriousness they get. It's not going to be just them doing podcasts in, say, right. New York and Ohio and California like Matthew McConaughey was doing. Yeah. And a I, good I, difference I also... would be if all of a sudden you see Matthew McConaughey hanging out at, say, I don't know, San Antonio talking mm -hmm. to the Republican Club or the Democratic yeah. Club or something like that. That is right. when you know something seriously is cooking. There was nothing approaching anything like a policy discussion at all in any of those interviews ever. And, um, you know, it's not just that the interviews were stupid to make a to make a semi serious comment about it um, here in Austin. If he had been having discussions, say, with actual political professionals, you know, yeah. maybe hiring a consultant, starting to talk about the kinds of things you have to do to start to build a campaign because it is an organization. You got to have a consultant. You got to have people raise money for you and those sorts of things. If I had heard any of that, I might have taken it seriously. Yeah. The, you know, the idea that he was maybe going to really run, but we never, ever heard any chatter about anything like that. And believe me, if people in this town stood to make money off a potential campaign, I would have heard about it. 
<laughs> just, just so you know. If you enjoy this show and you know you missed us so much last week, we missed you. You should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify. I mentioned that earlier. And did you see this uh, over the course of this week? People have been sharing on social media, on Twitter and on Instagram primarily, probably on Facebook as well. I just don't look at it as much. Uh, but people have been sharing what they've been listening to on Spotify. At the end of the year, Spotify tells you what you've been listening to. It ranks your top podcast, your top songs and things like that. Every single person I saw who was sharing the screenshots from their Spotify app, our podcast was number one. For, for the people who were sharing it was and they were sharing you know like their top five podcasts we were never number two or three or four or five we were always number one now they were probably doing that to be nice to us if somebody had us ranked last they probably didn't want to put us up there but people are loving it one listener shared a screenshot on instagram uh from their spotify app that said there was one podcast that lived rent free in your head all year and it was braddock and wallace how about that? So, and that's what Spotify mm -hmm. said to me about Willie Nelson songs. So, so <laughs> there, like, there you go. And so that's pretty right. intense if somebody's yeah. listening to us as much as I'm listening to Willie Nelson. That's yeah, not good. If, <laughs> if, dear listener, or if you are in our top 0.05% of listeners, it makes you very special. And we yes. appreciate you. So, so, what, so what you can do if you're a, a hardcore fan and you got Spotify telling you so, then you should grab that screenshot and tweet it out. And the hashtag was Spotify Wrapped. Like, like wrapped like a Christmas gift. Spotify wrapped is the hashtag to share on Twitter and Instagram. Give us the best rating that you can on all of those platforms that you listen to us on, whichever one you like to use. You can subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com to keep up with our reporting day to day. And we'll see you back here on the show next week. Mm -hmm.